Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on with it. episode 58 of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. It's been a quiet week this week, which is good when you're as busy as I've been this week. A few bits on sanctions, fraud, money laundering, and a roundup of interesting cyber attack news making the headlines this week. As usual, I've linked the important stories in the podcast description. We'll start with sanctions. Where in the UK, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation has amended an entry on the Myanmar financial sanctions list and issued new guidance intended to support those who are applying for a license to access funds for travel expenses and associated costs. The guidance provides detail on what OFSI should consider in reasonable is reasonable use of the funds. Links to all of those can be found in the podcast description. In other sanctions news, the U.S. Department of Justice is understood to be investigating Binance for alleged Russian-related sanctions breaches. The investigation concerns the degree to which Russians have had access to the Binance exchange, which would, of course, contravene U.S. sanctions. Now, we end this week's brief sanctions roundup with more noise from the European Union concerning Russia and those aiding it in its invasion of Ukraine. First, Poland has called for limits on Russian agricultural products entering the EU, while the EU itself is considering action against firms aiding the Russian military in the supply of materials. This is not the first time the EU has targeted Russian allies, with notable action being taken against Iran over its supply of unmanned drones to Russia, which were then used to attack civilian infrastructure in Ukraine. I suppose one footnote on the EU and its activity is the alignment of corruption and sanctions. This has been mooted recently and preliminary draft regulations have been published. More on this to come, there's no doubt about that. That's it for sanctions. Told you there wasn't much. Now to fraud. (sighs) To be frank, there wouldn't be much fraud news without the US Department of Justice, which has been typically productive this week. We start with news of our old friend, COVID-19 relief fraud, where a former San Diego resident, now living in Morocco, has been charged with fraudulently obtaining $400,000 in COVID business relief. He's not alone since a Colorado man has also been indicted for fraud on Paycheck Protection Program, um, uh, fraud on the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP as it's known. It's alleged that the defendant inflated payroll costs and gross receipts, among other things, to obtain over $500,000 under the scheme. The final piece of news before the biggie is that a Nigerian has been sentenced to a range of fraud offences including phishing and romance scams conducted online. The final story, which is the biggie, is that US Congressman George Santos has been charged with fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds and false accounting. It's alleged that Santos conducted a fraudulent political contribution solicitation scheme, conducted unemployment insurance fraud and made false statements to the House of Representatives about his financial condition in connection with each of his two congressional campaigns. Links to all stories can be found in the podcast description. The big fraud news from the UK this week is the release by UK Finance of its annual report for 2023, the headline figure of which is that over £1.2 billion was stolen through fraud in the UK, 
with around 80% of that figure originating from online fraud. Of those 80%, social media platforms account for the greatest number of online fraud cases, around three quarters of which seem to start on social media. In consequence, UK Finance, which is the banking industry trade body, has called on social media companies to be liable for reimbursement, not the banks. Link to the information on UK Finance, together with a report from The Guardian, can be found in the podcast description. Now, a brief bit of news on bribery and anti-corruption. The main bribery and anti-corruption news this week comes from the United Kingdom, where former Labour Member of Parliament and Government Minister Peter Hayne is seeking an amendment to the Economic Crime Bill, which is progressing through Parliament. He wants to get the British government back to... Uh, he wants to get the British government to back the establishment of an international anti-corruption court, which will be closely analogous to the International Criminal Court, which is in The Hague. The link to the report in The Guardian is in the podcast description. The final piece of corruption news this week is that Belgian MEP Mark Tarabella, who has been embroiled in the Qatar corruption scandal which has affected him and other members of the European Parliament, has been released from pre-trial detention. Now, to this week's money laundering news. We start with the European Union and an open letter sent to Murray McGuinness, European Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability and Capital Markets Union, urging the upholding of corporate transparency in the sixth anti-money laundering directive. As the letter provides, we call on you to explicitly support strong provisions for meaningful stakeholder access to beneficial ownership registers that were recently proposed by the European Parliament. How the co-legislators proceed on this crucial issue will determine whether or not the bloc slides back into the corporate secrecy era following last year's adverse ruling by the EU's highest court. With your track record of path-breaking reforms to combat financial crime, we look now to the European Commission to help ensure that the sixth anti-money laundering directive fully mitigates this risk and enables civil society actors to fulfil their watchdog role as recognised by the court. Link to the letter is in the podcast description. The rest of this week's money laundering news comes from the United Kingdom, where the government has updated its guidance on trust or company service providers. And finally, the United Kingdom National Crime Agency has published the latest issue of SARS in action, SARS of course being suspicious activity reports, which looks at key trends in fraud, romance fraud, money mules and fraud communications. The links are in the podcast description. Now one brief market abuse story before we look at this week's cyber news. The Market abuse news comes from an announcement, or press release I suppose, a warning issued by the UK Financial Conduct Authority relating to a firm called Mega Trade Vest, which may be providing financial services or products without FCA authorization. And the notice urges individuals to avoid dealing with this firm and beware of potential scams. Link to the warning is in the podcast description. We end this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast with a roundup of cyber attack news. There's plenty of it, as ever, but uh, so I've cut down on some of it. But we start with North America, where a Canadian software company, Constellation Software, has been subject to a cyber incident which impacted its infrastructure with some data compromise. Sticking with Canada, the Ontario School District has confirmed that a cyber attack it suffered in December 2022 compromised the personal data of current and former students. In the US, 
Dallas public officials continue to work on the restoration of services after a ransomware attack on its platforms earlier this week. Another U.S. firm feeling the impact of a ransomware attack is Western Digital, which has had images of data alleged to have been stolen by the Black Cat Gang, published this week. Moving away from the U.S. to the Asia-Pacific region, where trading was halted on Technology One in Australia after a cyber attack. The attack accessed back office systems. In Japan, the regional port state control organization Tokyo MOU has reported that following a likely cyber attack, it suffered extensive system failures which caused port problems uh, in relation to identifying vessels for inspection and as, as well as inconvenience, inconveniencing those who use the database of the authority. Now some follow-up news. Officials from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department confirmed the payment of a $1.1 million ransom, allowing officials back into the network following a cyber attack last month. In the UK, it's been widely reported that the cyber attack on the outsourcing firm Capita will cost the company up to £20 million. The costs coming from professional services providers engaged to assist in its response to the incident and investment in strengthening its IT security. And finally this week, the UK National Cyber Security Centre has published a blog post on its website where it seeks to address common misconceptions about cyber attacks and cybercrime which it is feared may be causing firms to be reluctant to report a cyber attack. The myths identified in the blog post are 1. If I cover, cover up the attack, everything will be okay. 2. Reporting to the authorities makes it more likely your incident will go public. 3. Paying a ransom makes the incident go away. 4. I've got good offline backups. I won't need to pay a ransom. 5. If there is no evidence of data theft, you don't need to report to the Information Commissioner's office. And 6. You'll only get a fine if your data is leaked. Link to the full blog post is in the podcast description. That's it for this week's mercifully short episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being very well indeed, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>